Contrary to reports, Jason and Aponte and I were not on a flight to Toronto today. We're actually here right now, ready for a new Sprint Right Option podcast. We even brought a friend along, so uh, check it out. New Sprint Right Option podcast starts now. Welcome, everybody. We are live. We are live. My name is Jason Aponte. I am Andrew Pasquini. We're working. That's it. We're working over here. That's it. Let's go Niners. Let's go Niners. Sprint Right Option podcast. Oh my goodness, we are live, we are live, we are live. It's a new episode of the Sprint Ride Option Podcast. I am Andrew Pasquini, joined as always by the beautiful, somebody, somebody who he were on a plane, I would track it all day just to see where he was. It's Jason Aponte, how you doing? What a day, and it's still not over with this whole, and obviously what, you know, what Andrew's joking about is is the Shohei Otani yes. debacle. Or I, I don't know. Either way, uh, this is these off seasons with different sports have become more and more fascinating, and the way that things are coming out. So it's just it's it's insane to see people glued to what jet left where, where they're going, who's operating it. It's just it's been as a Yankee fan who has Juan Soto and doesn't really have to worry about you know signing anyone else. This has been fun to just watch uh, on the back end. Yeah, no, second year in a row, we've had a big free agent report be missed. Remember last year, John Heyman with Arson Judge. Arson Judge. Uh, And now this year, just today's debacle. It's weird. It's almost like Shohei asked to keep everything private and nobody knows anything unless Shohei says it. But this isn't isn't a a San Francisco Giants Shohei Otani watch. I'm actually using this today to get away from it because my favorite team is involved in all of this. Uh, we have a very exciting episode today for you guys. We're going to have Mookie Alexander field goals joining us here uh, at some point here in the next few minutes. Uh, we'll ask him all our questions about the Seahawks because I've had great difficulty previewing a game that happened two weeks ago. Uh, there's not much new that can really happen outside of injury reports and little reports here and there, uh, which we're going to talk about to open the show uh, while we wait for Mookie to join us. Uh, so so let's start with, with the news that really affects the team on Sunday. That's the injury report. Never a good thing. And, and there's there's a lot of names here. Uh, Eric Armstead, he's going to be out. He, he might miss the next week or two with a foot and knee injury. Uh, Rosh Dwelly is out. Elijah Mitchell is doubtful. Ray-Ray McLeod is out. Darrell Luter is doubtful. Spencer Burford is also doubtful. It's, it's a pretty big injury report, to be honest. Uh, but I think the biggest one is Eric Armstead. I, I, I've said mm-hmm. before that I think the addition of Chase Young and, and the, the reboost of this defensive line, Eric Armstead is going to be the biggest beneficiary. He has been that, in my opinion. Uh, but Niners have uh, Javon Kinlaw behind him. They have Kalia Davis, who had his first career sack. Last Sunday, maybe trend the right things. What are your thoughts on the injury report came out, knowing who the Niners do and don't have on Sunday? Well, there's never a good time to lose Eric Armstead, but from all indications is that it is something that isn't going to be serious or anything like that. And, you know, uh, Javon Kinlaw's played very well, and I think the 49ers have enough defensive linemen to overcome his absence. I'm not going to sit here and act like it's a nothing burger. But it is something that can be overcome, especially with the way that the defensive line has played recently. I believe Kyle Shanahan said that this was the best that he saw the defensive line against Philadelphia. So um, not downplaying that at all. I'm just going to say that I think they have enough to overcome it. And as far as the other things, I think the Spencer Burford thing is is really, really interesting because Burford didn't play last uh, Seattle game, which was two weeks ago. And it's almost like he's absolutely avoiding it. And, you know... <laughs> 
not to, I mean, we'll, we'll wait to get into the preview, like, because I just watched the tape last night and, you know, we're in the same group chat and I was texting you things that I'm just like, oh man, I forgot. And I think there were certain things that we forgot because the 49ers just scored as many points as they did in that game. But man, there were some Seattle defenders that were playing very well against that interior. Old, and, and I think that's the, that's part of a little bit of the concern that I have in this game. But yeah, look, um, even with these uh, these people missing, I think the 49ers are going to be fine in this one. But it's if there's ever a good time, it would be against Seattle, then against Arizona, and hopefully you have everybody back for the big Ravens matchup. Um, so we'll 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 see how that goes. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely see. And yeah, you mentioned no Burford the last time these two teams played. Uh, kind of like the last time as well. Geno Smith is questionable with a groin injury. He might not play. I, I'm not going to take too much stock in what Pete Carroll said today. Uh, just prepare for Drew Locke or Geno Smith. I feel like that's been a talking point of this rivalry, really, since Geno's taken over. I feel like there's always been a tease of Drew Locke over Geno Smith. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, I think uh, if the Seahawks are missing their starting quarterback, uh, that's probably a bigger in- injury than anything the Niners are going to have to deal with on Sunday, uh, especially going up against a team like the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, so, so, so there's that. There's the injuries just really quick. Uh, there's a new San Francisco 49er as well, Jason Aponte. Uh, the Niners signed Logan Ryan, a name that mm-hmm. a lot of people I think are familiar with. He's 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 been around for a hot minute. He hasn't played in 2023 yet, but mm-hmm. he's on his seventh, eighth, tenth year, eleventh year in the NFL. This is going to be his fifth different team: New England, Tennessee, New York, Tampa Bay. Uh, a little bit of experience at both cornerback or safety. I'm curious to see what the Niners use him as because I feel like mm-hmm. there's really a case to be made for both, but I feel like safety is probably the safest, safest, the safest, the safety, safest bet. There we go. Safest. It's very smooth there. Words, uh, words are great on podcasts. But yes, exactly. Words, words are fantastic. I don't have to write them, got to say them. Uh, Jason, kind of, I'm. 50-50 split on this. I'm in the belief of if a, if a bigger name or somebody you think is a bigger name is available in December. Uh, Charlene, thank you. Let's go Niners. FYI, baseball isn't a real sport. LOL. Appreciate it, Charlene. She's not lying. Giant, it's definitely not a real sport. Yeah. Uh, I, it's funny that, that show, wherever Shohei signs is going to determine whether baseball is a real sport. Yes, and I exactly. think that is way, that is way bigger and, and mm-hmm. untalked about. Well, without a doubt. Yes, absolutely. Uh, if it's Toronto, maybe lesser of a sport, not as less of a sport if it's LA. Uh, but kind of my opinion on these signings in December when it's a veteran name that you familiar, you're familiar with, uh, I'm in the bank of, well, nobody else had him. There must be a reason he's available. What What's your thoughts on Logan Ryan at this point, uh, not playing game 2023 and what he can offer to the 2023 49ers? Well, obviously he has two Super Bowl rings. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have that sort of pedigree um, when it comes to that as well. You know, the 49ers right now have a ton of cap space that, will roll over but this will not count towards that right logan ryan is a right now type of move so it it won't affect anything going forward i think we forgot that george odom has a is going to be out for a long time with that Mm -hmm. bicep tear so it's really depth and i think it's a safety i do want to talk about something that i feel like is an overblown point narrative i don't know where it started i don't know why it started but I, I think the narrative of that Logan Ryan has been signed because the team is concerned about Jair Brown's tackling yeah. is absolutely insane. And you look at his numbers, and he's got about 140 snaps in the last three games. He has three missed tackles. And the funniest part about it is, is when Talano Hufunga was playing, you know, early on in his career, he missed a ton of tackles. 
And there was never any talk about, well, they've got to find someone to replace him. This is purely depth. I don't understand where this narrative about Tig has come from because he missed two tackles on Sunday and one in the week before, but he didn't miss any against Tampa Bay. This whole Jair Brown missing tackles thing has got to be one of the most overblown, not sure where this is coming from narrative. And if it feels like it's coming from a place of we've got to find something to complain about on this team rather than just taking it as he's a young guy who will figure it out, who's actually played very well. He's played fine. Yeah, if it was about the missed tackles, wouldn't Logan Ryan have been signed like six weeks ago and we were concerned about the Amador Lenore's missed tackles? Like, right. I, I, I don't I don't think, especially, especially with what you did, I know he's a third-round pick. The Niners did trade up to get him, though. Uh, with how much the Niners gave up for Jair Brown, this is not going to be a – Oh, he was thrown into a situation he wasn't expected to be in, and it didn't work after two games, so we're replacing him. I don't think it's that type of thing. I just think it's bodies, man. It's 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 December, Jason. Dare I say football is a violent sport. People are hurt at this time of the season. You need bodies, and, and that's what I think Logan Ryan's going to be. I'm sure you're going to see him in, in a rotational sense. I, I think if he's on the active roster, I don't think he's going to have a zero-snap game or anything like that. I just think it's going to be a rotational, uh, not, not nothing big. I mean, but, but then again, I'm going to say this and, and who knows, maybe Logan Ryan makes an interception in the NFC championship game in Philadelphia, uh, to put the game away, you know, something like that, that you don't really think of. Maybe there's just something of value there. Uh, but for now, man, it's just, it's, it's, it's a body. It's a body on a team that, that has a few injuries in the secondary with Odom, with Hufanga, uh, with Luter a little bit. I know he just got activated, but already on the injury report. Not not losing too much sleep over it. Uh, and then the other report that, that came out, uh, another player I'm not losing sleep too much sleep over. Uh, but he's played a little more, not as recently. He hasn't played a game yet this season. Uh, he dealt with the knee injury. Uh, or no, he has played a few games. I apologize. Yeah. I'm way yeah. off. I was looking at I was looking at Logan Ryan's stuff still. Mm -hmm. uh, Zach Ertz has played plenty of games this season. Uh, Niners are interested in him. Uh, he, 27 receptions, a touchdown with the Cardinals. They get rid of him. Uh, and not to, to be a, a bah humbug to, to continue the trend. I know I wasn't thrilled about Logan Ryan. I've just kind of trained myself to kind of ignore the 49ers backed up tight end spot. How many times have we talked about uh, Jordan Reed, Levine Tololo? Who was the other one a few years ago the Niners had? that? Oh, uh, Tyler Croft. How could I forget his name? Uh, he couldn't block us on Reddick, right? Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of these... I just I I've grown to ignore the second tight end spot. That that's all. It's pretty much been George Kittle's spot. We've heard about Warner, Jwelly, all these guys. They don't really do much in the passing game. Uh, they do more in the blocking game. I don't know what Zach Ertz is going to do for this team right now. Uh, but hey, man, the more the, if you sign Zach Ertz, he's not going to Philadelphia. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I'll say this about Zach Ertz. Um, and I think I do have a differing take. Uh, a little bit, Andrew Pasquini. Okay. I do think that Kyle Shanahan does love the idea of a second tight end because that's why Jordan Reed was brought here. Like Jordan Jordan Reed wasn't brought here to replace George Kittle. He was supposed to be in tandem with him in yes. that awful 2020 season, right? Yes. And Ross Dwelly just being around on this roster while not being able to block. You know, I, I love the narratives again from like 49ers Twitter. Uh, no block, no rock. Yeah, explain Ross Dwelly because that man can't block. No, like he can't block anything, and he just finds a way to stay yeah. on this roster. Do I think the 49ers are just gonna all of a sudden start changing into a personnel package that has two tight ends? No, yes. but if you do want to give George Kittle some time off and have him sit off, and it's an obvious passing down, Zach Ertz is somebody who still has a lot yes. of a lot of juice left. Like yeah. 
you can look at him as diminished at his time right now, and that's very fair. But at the same time, he still has a little bit of juice. Remember, Bay Area boy went to Stanford. We've got to keep all that into, you know, look, we're a big vibes podcast. The vibes would be immaculate if Zach Ertz was able to make his way back. Um, it sounds like he's up and down with contenders. So that would kind of leave it like, you know, going back to Philly is an obvious one. I think Baltimore is a place, even though Isaiah likely is a hooper, Baltimore is yes. a place that that I think a lot of people would look at him and say that that's a good fit because of what happened with Mark Andrews. And the 49ers would likely take a look at him. It's not something the 49ers need to do. But again, if Ross Dwelly is going to have an IR stint for four weeks, Charlie yes. Warner can't catch a cold. So you can't throw him the football either. That's not his game. I think for me, it's more about contenders. We're in December. There's, there's guys that want to contribute. And how, how these guys who are being signed, what is the snap counts that they're desiring? Are they there to chase a ring? I think everybody's kind of looking at the 49ers right now as a team, at least in December 8th, that's a, that's going to be playing deep in January and hopefully in Las Vegas in February and not the Pro Bowl. Yeah, this whole backup tight end thing could have been avoided if they just fulfilled the Pits and Kits prophecy a couple of years ago with the third I mean, pick. If Atlanta wants to get rid of you know a tight end that they don't use, yes. um, I know a place that we can use. We it, you know, like Absolutely. Arthur Smith, I get it, man. Having good players and not using them, that's a big brain move. I yes. never would have thought it. I would have never have thought to not throw the ball to Cal Pitts and, and not use B. John Robinson. Like, I think – that is the type of advanced thinking that gets yeah. you into the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to end the pits and kits talk uh, for, for fun. Let's talk 49ers Seahawks. And I can't think of anybody better to introduce, to talk about 49ers Seahawks than Mookie Alexander from Field Goals. We appreciate him joining. Uh, we can't see the logo. I saw the logo backstage. I do appreciate that. He knows he's going on a 49ers podcast as a Seahawk guy, but he's got the proper throwback gear on. That's a great way to, to get yourself in our good graces as a throwback Seahawks stuff. Mookie, how you doing on this lovely Friday evening? I'm doing all right. I mean, it was a choice between the throwback or me just waving a white flag. I mean, either way could have worked, <laughs> but the throwback is going to endear dear myself to Seahawks fans as well, because let's be real, don't, no, whether you love or hate the Seahawks, those throwbacks look so cool in both games. I want to ask you, Mookie, real quick. The Niners wear their 94 throwbacks on Thanksgiving. And, and and you guys don't wear your throwbacks to go against that and and kind of, you know, because remember, you and, you know, the Seahawks were in the AFC West at that time wearing those. I just the, the scheduling people and how they schedule these jerseys. I just I just want to have a talk with them because literally one of the cleanest throwbacks and then one of the cleanest throwbacks on the other side. And then you allow them to wear it on Thursday night against the Dallas Cowboys. It just it just bothers the hell out of me. I felt like it would have been a way better use on Thanksgiving. Yeah, they insist on the action green, and I made a vow to not diss the action green after I think they they won a game that looked impossible to win. Might have been the Minnesota game a couple years back, but now that they've lost, I think three in a row, we're in some form of action green. Uh, we can put that one to rest and just go with the throwbacks as the primary alternate. I, that's what I thought. I thought they were going to use it against Cleveland, which they did, and that they would use it on Thanksgiving. As soon as they we we knew that the uh, throwbacks would be used, I thought that the schedule was already out by then. I think. Thanksgiving's perfect for that because the 49ers tend to wear their throwbacks in prime time against Seattle. They did it last year too. And I think the year before that, so that, that could have been elite uniform matchup. Yeah. Yeah. The Niners slick throwbacks and you got two throwbacks. You can have the, 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 you could go even further back, but yes, that the Seahawks throwbacks were an absolute hit the way that they, they unveiled it. Um, and, and the way that it looks, it just looks so sleek. 
I, I will say the action greens, I, I'm not a big fan of very bright green uniforms, but they hit differently at nighttime. Like in that Seattle evening with the light, it, it's very different when they're nighttime uniform, uniforms versus daytime uniforms. They don't hit as well in, in daytime. So I'll give them credit on that. Let's talk about the game on Sunday. Uh, I, I read some of your stuff at Field, field Goals. I apologize. It's tough for me to say sometimes. I apologize. I feel goals, uh, part of SB Nation, Jason Aponte and I write for NinersNation.com. You you mentioned Tyler Lockett's lack of big plays this year. He's, he's always been that big splash guy. A couple weeks ago before week 12, I mentioned DK Metcalf and the big plays against the 49ers, how they're going to handle it. We saw Charvarius Ward. Uh, I don't want to say shut down DK Metcalf, but he handled him very well. Um, but now with no Drew... Maybe no Geno Smith, maybe Drew Locke. I don't know who it's going to be at this point. How do you see it's Seattle attacking the 49ers down the field? You mentioned that they don't have a ton of 20-yard passes. The Niners have allowed the sixth fewest 20-yard passes. How do you see that happening against this Niners secondary on Sunday? Well, the way I see it, if it's Drew Locke starting, he's not going to be afraid to air it out. I will be afraid to watch him air it out, but he's not going to be afraid to air it out. He, he is very much the the... Um, prototypical gunslinger and it's high variance. Sometimes it's going to look pretty cool. Other times it's going to look absolutely awful. I think that Pete's being a little coy and that Gino will start even if he's less than 100%. Um, but whether it's Gino or Locke starting, I think that Seattle made a bit of a mistake trying to air it out as much as they did against San Francisco two weeks back, especially when Gino was already ailing with the, the shoulder injury. Their success against Dallas was not so much of just airing it 30 yards down the field. It's Relying on yards after catch, where they've been terrible year for, for years on end, but this year they're finally good at it. Um, but getting the ball out of Geno's hands as quickly as possible so that they can prevent the pass rush from getting home. And you're, you're kind of going to have to copy the game plan against Dallas, but against San Francisco, because that Niners pass rush with Bosa and – well, Armstead's out, right? Armstead is out, yes. So I guess Chase Young will, will probably be – Get more of his snaps. Oh, yes. No, no problem. We don't have arms. We'll just get Chase Young. Yeah, just get Chase Young. But, yeah, uh, I mean, and Javon Hargrave, too. And Javon, and Javon Hargrave. Well. And, and yes, it, it's just a, a pick-your-poison sort of situation. But Seattle's offensive line, even though they've gotten healthier, they've kind of performed worse since since they've been close to whole. And, he, I mean, last week, Gino had no sacks allowed or no sacks taken, but he was under pressure of more than half of his dropbacks. That was a very deceiving performance by the offensive line because Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, they were all getting in the backfield quickly. I expect the same from San Francisco. Uh, so a lot of quick game, a lot of screen passes, um, those out routes to Lockett and Metcalf that has gotten Gino in trouble sometimes. That's also something that he's still good at. So there are just so many ways that the Niners defense can shut Seattle's offense down. But their absolute best chance is to get the ball out of Geno's hands as quickly as possible and try and generate yards after catch with the screen passes, which is something that I noticed the Niners had a little bit of trouble with against the Eagles on those first couple of drives with A.J. Brown. And I think Devontae Smith uh, got a third and 19 screen pass yep. converter yep. for a first down. So mm -hmm. I think that's Metcalf and Lockett aside, this could be a game where the Seahawks start to rely a little bit more on Jackson Smith and Jigba because he he's earning more targets. And with Lockett's ineffectiveness down the field, Smith and Jibba provides some of the things that Lockett provides, but also that yards after catchability that Lockett really hasn't had ever since he broke his leg several years back. Yeah, you know, I think the most annoying part about the Seahawks, and I mean this respectfully 100%, is just when you think you're kind of putting them away, they go out and they have a draft where they get Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jibba, and, and they smash the draft before that. 
Um, but I kind of wanted to talk about what you said about deceptively good games. And when I popped on the tape from Thanksgiving, there was one player that continued to flash on the defensive line. It was Leonard Williams. He was absolutely everywhere in this game. And even when he's breaking into the backfield and they're running away from them, I think it kind of gets lost in the sauce because the 49ers were able to move the ball how they did. But Leonard Williams was such a great pickup. And I think a lot of people kind of yawned at it and said, well, you know, he's a little bit older. But, you know, what's funny is Spencer Burford didn't play in Thanksgiving. He's not going to play again this week. So it'll look, it'll be John Feliciano. And that's kind of where they struggled because when putting Leonard Williams inside, um, he, he was dominant. Tell me about kind of the feeling around him. Because when I watched that tape, regardless if the 49ers had a positive play, I had my eyes on 99. And he's just he's just all over the place flashing, man. He's still got so much in the tank left. Yeah, he, he is a, a lightning rod of, of discussion among Seahawks fans, not because he's playing poorly. He's absolutely not playing poorly. He's been one of Seattle's best defensive players over the past few weeks. The problem is the draft capital they gave up for him. And giving up next year's second rounder just to prevent themselves from having to take on so much of William's salary, the Giants ended up paying all, almost all of his salary. Giving up next year's second rounder is looking increasingly bad given the Seahawks slide. And it's a, one of those short-sighted things where I get why Seattle did it. They, they saw that the Niners were on a losing streak. They saw that the NFC was looking decidedly weak. Let's make this playoff push now and maybe try and go for the division. Well, the division, I'm pretty sure, even if Seattle wins on Sunday, is out of the question because the Niners just have a much easier schedule. Um, but the defense has just collectively been poor, even though Williams has been playing well. So it's kind of the, one of those things where he is individually an impressive player. He's getting sacks. He's, he's getting great hustle plays. He's drawing holding penalties. Um, I, I think Dak Prescott had a touchdown taken away because Williams had pressure in the backfield and, and that led to a hold and it was a justified call. But is he making the defense better? Unfortunately, no. And that's not his fault. That, that's the fault of the fact that the team has just kind of collapsed around him. So what Williams has definitely, definitely become one of the more integral parts of Seattle's defense, especially on that interior work, that they really didn't do much in the offseason. Mario Edwards, good contributor. Jaron Reed has exceeded expectations in his return to Seattle. Mm -hmm. But from there, the depth is not really that great. Mike Morris has been out for the year for since he had a shoulder injury in week one. Then you got Cameron Young as a rookie. And you got Draymond Jones, who can be a defensive end in the 3-4 or kick him inside. But he's been not as good as advertised. So Williams has been somebody that's, it, it, you know, his contract is up at the end of this year. So you got to wonder, is Seattle going to sign him? And if they don't sign him, then they give away a second-round pick for a rental. I, I think that Seattle will re-sign him. He, he's hardly washed up. He, he's not somebody with a deep injury history. And I'd rather Seattle just not keep starting over at a position they struggle to, to find success at for years now. Uh, we're, we're on Leonard Williams. Perfect place for me to segue to the Seattle defense. You, you mentioned on field goals that <laughs> – in order for the Seahawks to win this game, they can't just force a turnover. They got to force at least two, three, ideally, as many as you can, ideally. Um, you mentioned that in the last four games in this little streak the Niners have had, Seattle's minus seven in the turnovers. The only turnover forced is is the Jordan Brooks pick six we saw. The Niners have only turned the ball over twice, or excuse me, turned the ball twice or more three times in Brock Purdy's career with the Niners. Uh, one of them was the NFC Championship game, not necessarily his fault. Who on that Seattle defense, if there's going to be multiple turnovers for Seattle against Purdy in this Niners offense, is going to have to be the guy to step up and, and make the plays, force those turnovers for, for Seattle? 
Yeah, that's interesting. And, and actually, it wasn't Purdy's fault in the NFC Championship game because he had one turnover and then was out for the game. Exactly. So that's everybody true. else, I think that was Josh Johnson who had the remaining turnovers. Mm-hmm. But um, for for Seattle's defense to get multiple turnovers, they're going to have to gamble a little bit more. That means if they're are they going to be willing to give up potentially 60, 70 yard plays if it means jumping a route for a pick or doing anything to to give the Seahawks the ball as much as possible or even try and get six points on defense, which is what they did in the first meeting. Uh, so as far as somebody who could force at least one turnover, I, actually, I'll give you two answers, and they're both in the secondary. One is Devin Witherspoon, mm-hmm. who has, has just been a revelation. He's been getting picked on a little bit more, but he's a rookie. I'm not bothered with that. Um, C.B. Lamb got a touchdown on him, and IU got a touchdown on him, but those are two really talented receivers, and, and Witherspoon is otherwise – put on a lot of impressive plays. I mean, in, even in the San Francisco game, uh, when Debo did that trick pass attempt, I think it was supposed to go to Ayuk and Witherspoon read it and made sure that Debo had to throw it away. And then he stopped the Debo um, end around with the tackle for loss. So okay. he's a really smart heads up player. He, he'll take his lumps, but so does every cornerback in the league, whether they're good or not so good. But Witherspoon has got one interception. You have one taken away because of a penalty nowhere near the play. He's got a forced fumble, I believe, on a, on a strip sack or something like that. But, no, he had a forced fumble on a read option keeper that Sam Howell had. And then um, he's just – he's a menace both in coverage and blitzing the quarterback. So, Purdy doesn't get sacked a ton, but if anybody is capable of, of getting a blitz to, to sack Purdy, it's not Jamal Adams. It, it's actually Devin Witherspoon. Adams' okay. blitzes have largely been ineffective, and they have been for however many – games he's played this yeah. year, even 2021. Witherspoon already has three sacks. I mean, he, he's trying to get as many sacks as Jalen Carter, whom Seahawks fans absolutely wanted to have, or at least some of them wanted to have to both beef up that defensive line. So the other player I think has got a chance to, to at least generate some noise as far as turnover potential, but he is questionable for this game, is cornerback Trey Brown, who has okay. been just he, – he is a really improved player. He was already – he looked promising in his rookie year in 2021, but he had a serious knee injury and he hardly played last year. Won the starting job this year over Mike Jackson to the op- corner opposite Rick Wollin. And he's got two interceptions, one of them a pick six. The other one was a brilliant interception off of uh, Joe Burrow. And I guess Jamar Chase isn't always open because Chase was locked down and Brown made a spectacular pick. And Brown has also got a couple of forced fumbles, including one on Odell Beckham Jr., which Seattle gave right back anyway. But Seattle is just not a team that forces a lot of turnovers. And the ones that they have have been in bunches, like three against Cleveland, three against the Lions, three against the Giants. And you're looking at two bad offenses in the Browns and Giants. And then the Detroit Lions, it's kind of a a weird outcome there because the Lions are not that reckless. But, yeah, Seattle just needs a miracle, and they need their secondary really to step up because I don't think that pass rush is going to have that ability to get home on a consistent basis and get strip sacks or anything. You know, obviously – Aesthetic jerseys uh, aside, I think you have some of the the two coolest names in the secondary, Michael Jackson, Kobe Bryant. Like, I just don't understand how on vibes they just don't get to play a lot more. But I wanted to actually talk as the resident receiver uh, guy on this podcast and around here. I I absolutely adore watching wide receivers. It's my favorite thing to do. DK Metcalf is insanely talented. And I think there's no way to, to, you know, sugarcoat that. But how frustrated are people with at times where he just loses everything and he just he just never keeps it together at times, you know, and he just he gets out of his game because when he's right and he's playing well, you get what you get against the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, Deron Bland was setting the world on fire. DK Metcalf made, made him look like, you know, a guy who's just, you know, some regular guy on the street. Um, Is it frustrating to know that there's 
such a talented player on the roster, but yet at any moment it feels like he he can kind of fly off the handle, and 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 it might even be something really small that sets him off. Yeah, with Metcalf, there have been some frustrations amongst the Yucks fans to the point where some fans want DK traded. But given the wide receiver situation, given Lockett's age, I don't think I want to see DK get traded. And I don't know what he would necessarily fetch. Like, fans are hilarious. It's like, DK's overrated. He's this, he's that, he's a deep yeah. and all that. Also, I want multiple first-round picks for DK Metcalf. Like, that's not yes. how the world works, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. um, But with DK, he's been a consistently good, it's a very good receiver, and sometimes he's great. There are a couple of things with him in, in terms yeah. of his concentration, his ability to hands catch, his ability to do contested catches, um, and, and also some of his – he's a physical freak almost to a fault, which means yes. that that three-cone time in, in the combine kind of matters when it comes to his route running and, right. and other things that you can do and can't do with DK. So there, there are some things that I think limit him from being a clear-cut top-five receiver, somebody who would be in that category with Chase and Jefferson and, and – and, the list goes on and on. Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, you name it. But he has been a net positive for the Seahawks basically throughout his entire career. And for as much as there have been, as we've seen some frustration from fans with, with Metcalf and the penalties he's committed, he's been a lot better with not getting penalized. And I think that the the, the sign language learning he's been doing, uh, he, he, <laughs> I that's, say that's, that's really one cool. way. That is that's one really way cool. to let your hands do the talking. That, that's really cool. I can't lie about that, honestly. That is That is next level thinking. We got to we got to we got to get DK Metcalf to work with Trey Greenlaw because like I feel like a lot of what Jason was explaining of the physicality and 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 Mookie mentioning the penalize like that's what Trey Greenlaw's got to learn to a point where I'm defending Big Dom the Italian uh, that that you know stay off the sideline I guess but Trey Greenlaw set up that whole situation so kind of funny the two rivals rivals have uh, similar players in Metcalf and Greenlaw in terms of the uh, don't hey don't get penalized it'd be really cool. Uh, Jordan Elliott Sports, uh, we call him uh, Seattle Jordan. Uh, our our resident, our resident whatever, Seattle fan. <laughs> I bet whatever team he roots for is pretty, pretty darn good. Uh, we, we like that. Thank you, Jordan, for the comment. Uh, my last question I had, not necessarily about the game, more of my delusions, and I want to see what the Pulse of Seahawk fans are on this. Um, I, As a Niner fan, I've been abused by the team up north for about 10 years now. To a point where the 49ers have won four in a row. They look for their fifth consecutive win against the Seahawks, would actually be the longest streak for the Niners in this rivalry. Um, to a point where I was talking after Thanksgiving that, and in case you're wondering how much Russell Wilson has hurt me personally, that I floated the idea of are we at the start of maybe a Brock Purdy type dominance of the Seattle Seahawks, like we saw Russell Wilson dominate the 49ers? I am asking you, Mookie, is that me being delusional? Am I just being a delusional 49er fan showing you how much the Seahawks have hurt me? Or is this something that's kind of maybe leaked into some Seahawks fans' mind with this very small 49ers domination of this rivalry? Well, my reaction to the 49ers' dominance, having enjoyed for the most part the Seahawks winning against San Francisco, even, even in that 2021 year where the Niners almost made it to the Super Bowl, yeah. Seahawks still swept him, and Seattle was 7-10 and 10 that year, but that was with yeah. Russell Wilson. But in recent times, this is one of those classic cases of ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. So <laughs> this has been a humbling time for, for Seahawks fans because especially this year, there were definitely some fans who thought with the moves that they made in the offseason and the success of last year, plus the, the draft class and other things, and the unknown of whether Brock Purdy would actually be more than just a flash in a pan. 
are the Seahawks trying slowly catching up to the 49ers? And to be fair, it's not just Seahawks fans. Lewis Riddick and some other national analysts where we're buying into the Seahawks hype as closing that gap on San Francisco. But I've been more reserved than others because I feel like there's still a massive talent gap. So for, for Brock Purdy to dominate the Seahawks, yeah, that seems likely. And it's less about who the quarterback is for Seattle and more about the defense that Seattle doesn't have. Because the old rivalry days, the Seahawks just had the Seahawks and 49ers both had wonderful defenses such that it was amazing if either team gave up a 25 yard play. Like that was the NFC version of Ravens and Steelers. Yes. And then when the Niners faltered and, and, and dropped off significantly, you get Chip Kelly and the master himself, Jim Tom Sula out there. Then Seattle had it rolling. But Kyle Shanahan, over these last few years, when his team is healthy, Seattle's have pretty much no answers. The most recent wins for Seattle. You, you've generally seen either the quarterback get hurt or Debo Samuel's not playing or George Kittle's not playing. But when everybody's available for the 49ers, the Seahawks just don't have any answers defensively. So the only way the Seahawks can really close the gap on San Francisco, besides, you know, a quarterback who's better than Geno, who I think is at least an average to above average. He's not elite, but even if he was elite, there is just still too much of a gap between what the Niners offense can do yeah. versus the Seahawks defense for it to matter. Like even if Gino balls out on Sunday and he looks like he did against Dallas, it may not matter because Shanahan has just got Pete Carroll in in, in a half Nelson. Mm. It, it, I have mismatch schematically because the, the, the players are just out of position. They're giving up wide open receivers. The rushing lanes are massive, whether it's McCaffrey or Elijah Mitchell in the backfield. So he just has not figured out. And I mean, Pete Carroll or any of his defensive coordinators how to slow down the Shanahan offense on a consistent basis ever since they've, they've essentially had the power up of bringing in McCaffrey. So I have one more question before we get into the predictions. And again, thank you so much for on short notice, making time for us as well too. Um, but the, the overall direction of the Seahawks, right? You know, Geno Smith has a season that he does. And I think Seattle was wise to bring him back. And, and when you look at the money, everyone says, well, how much is that? Well, that's kind of the going rate for a quarterback. So that's not really something. And it, does, it didn't seem like it hampers you going forward. What's the sentiment around Seattle and around the fans about going forward? What do they do? Because I have to say, begrudgingly, the last two years, you guys have really smashed your drafts. Like, you, you know, it's one thing to have a bunch of picks, but to be able to hit, get two starting linemen, find Tariq Woolen, find, um, find Witherspoon, um, Jackson Smith and Jeeba, Kenneth Walker, right? Like it, it just, it's, it's tough to understand and get a gauge on what the overall direction is because the quarterback position seems like it's still a point of contention. Would you say? Oh, it definitely is because Gino, he didn't have a strong finish to last season. And that's what people remember the most. It's whatever happened most recently. And then he's not been as good this year as he was last year. He's not been as terrible as, as some fans have, have been led to believe but he also hasn't been operating operating at a high level we still have some debate in the comment section about whether geno smith is better than brock purdy and it's just that purdy's in a better offense and my take on purdy is he's probably not the best quarterback in the league or or, or anything like that but what differentiates him and garoppolo is that jimmy garoppolo's floor is like bottom five quarterback and his ceiling is jimmy garoppolo Brock Purdy's floor is probably Jimmy Garoppolo, which is what we saw during the losing streak. And his ceiling is that of somebody who's an MVP caliber quarterback. And yes, the system helps, but he's still got to make the throws. And he's operating in a way that Kyle Shanahan is not actively scared of his own quarterback like he was with Jimmy in multiple playoff games. So that aside, 
as far as what the Seahawks will do, I feel like the consensus is that Seattle has to draft a quarterback next year because Geno is going to be 34 anyway. So it's not like he's somebody you expect to be playing at a high level for four or five straight seasons. Um, So it doesn't necessarily have to be a first round pick, but due to the fact that we don't have a second round pick right now, it probably has to be a first round pick or you trade down into the second round or something like that. There, the, the options, I won't really get into that because we're not at the combine. We've seen so many quarterbacks seemingly be a, a projected first round pick and they have a bad combine, bad interview, whatever. They drop to the second or third, all that. But Seattle really just has to go get it, forget the bridge quarterback stuff and try and build a little bit longer term than they have been building. Like these drafts have been good, but as, fine, as far as finding that super long term franchise quarterback, it's more likely than not that Geno. As, as much as I've enjoyed his re- career resurrection, he's probably not a long-term answer. Your long-term answer is almost certainly going to be through the draft. And one thing with Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they have drafted two quarterbacks ever, ever since they've been here since 2010. Russell Wilson and Alex Magoo, who's not in the NFL right now, or at least he's on the Packers practice squad or something. They've not made much of an effort to look at quarterbacks in the draft. I feel like 2024, with as much talent as, as we've seen from – the college scene this year, they would be foolish not to at least ex- strongly consider taking a quarterback. Even if Geno stays next year, at least have that rookie be his backup. I, I can think of a quarterback who's up in Washington that, that might fit decently with the Seahawks uh, and Michael Penix. He wouldn't have to go too far. I think that'd be a fun I, – I'm not a Niner fan saying that. I don't want good players going to Seattle, but as a football <laughs> fan, Penix staying in Washington would be pretty cool. Uh, Mookie, we appreciate you joining us. We're going to get to our predictions here. Uh, and I might actually have to ask you – we don't do over-unders here too much, but I was scrolling through your Twitter page, and I see your 113.73-3 picking the over-under, according to this tweet I see. Uh, from let me make sure I get it right. Tally sites. We might have to ask you that since you're very good at that. Uh, but but before we get into the predictions, everywhere you can plug that, that you do, whatever it may be, Twitter, website, YouTube, whatever it may be, plug it. Now's the time. Yeah, my Twitter is uh, or X is at Mookie Alexander. Um, so not too difficult there. No underscores, no nothing. Just at Mookie Alexander. I'm available on on FieldGoals.com, and of course I run predominantly the field goals twitter account so if you want to talk some mad smack at me during game day uh feel free to it's it's at field goals it's it's not like i'm not used to it it's a rivalry yeah. thing <laughs> now i think we'll take it easy on you i mean you've been great and i think you 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 come from a place of being completely objective and and i think you know uh you know it, it would be cool if we just came on here and said you know what seahawks we don't care you know talking crazy you know but like i appreciate uh the level-headedness and and it's something that we, we could all sometimes around here at 49ers Twitter aspire to just a little bit more as opposed to, well, if he doesn't play for the Niners, he stinks, which is kind of the sentiment sometimes about players. But, uh, yeah, thank you. I, predictions, right? Like, uh, we should just get to it at this point? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, let me go first. I'll, I'll go first. Uh, I'll go Niners. Man, the, the scores are the hardest part, random. Uh, I'm going to go 27-10. Uh, not a close game. I, I think the Niners are better than the Seahawks is what it is. Uh, Brock Purdy's good. I think he continues the – I think he's going to have another game where we kind of keep this, is he the MVP talk going? Uh, but but we'll see. It's always, as Jason Aponte likes to say, divisional it's a games divisional game, so are, are weird. weird. They're very uh, weird. But, but just keep in mind, the Niners have a chance for the longest single win streak against the Seahawks, and this would be the fifth time since 2002 the Niners have swept this 
in-season matchup, this divisional rivalry. Uh, Mookie, I'll let you take the next one. And for the over-under, I see 45 and a half. So I'll give you that extra bonus of who wins on Sunday and who, uh, what's the uh, over-under. 45 and a half. I think that got lower because Locke might be starting because of the right. line flip from minus 11 to minus 13. So or flipped. It, it got even wider. So I think it's going to be Geno starting. And okay. I think – the first game was 31-13. I believe that the Seahawks will score more than they did the last time. They'll okay. get offensive touchdowns. But the Niners at home, doesn't look like the weather's going to be bad. So I think it's going to be something like 38-17 San Francisco, where it's surprisingly close in the beginning. And then much like the playoff game, the, the Niners just put their, their foot on the gas pedal. Purdy finds some big plays to McCaffrey or Kittle or whomever. And you get a couple of key turnovers at the other side for the 49ers defense to really flip things in their favor for good. I mean, there's just so much talent on that Niners defense. I'm envious because that used to be the Seahawks where yeah. they had the talent and the scheme and the discipline, but Seattle is not playing disciplined football right now. And the Niners are just peaking at the right time. So I think it's going to be a San Francisco victory and the over will hit. And the over with it. Okay. Yeah. I've got a 31, 17, 49ers. Um, again, it's, it's, Styles make fights, but, you know, again, like kind of to Mookie's point, it's just it's too much for the 49ers over Seattle right now, especially with where they are playing, playing. If this was if this was the game, maybe within that three game losing streak, maybe there might be a little bit more hesitance. And 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 I understand, you know, there's the idea of, well, there's a letdown game in the cards, especially after what just happened in Philadelphia. But I think uh, just based on the way that you kind of hear Fred Warner talking last season about, you know, we hate these guys. We hate these boys. I don't think that that will be the case. Um, this week so yeah i've got the 49ers uh continuing to roll um and you know basically putting the nfc west away but yeah it, it's it's oh. gonna be one of those games again i think that, that it's it's kind of fair to say that it'll be a little bit close kind of interested to see which running backs gonna play i think that's something that we could have asked mookie as well too about like kenneth walker or zach charbonnet it, it's it sounds like both of them are kind of in yeah. the same practice mode what are you thinking yeah it looks like they're both gonna play which is a miracle because whenever Pete carroll says of somebody on the Seahawks that they have a legit injury, we're ready to write, plan their funeral. So mm-hmm. Kenneth Walker only missed two games with that oblique strain, so it looks like he'll play. And they're going to have to rely on those two because it, it's going to be a tough time for Seattle's passing game to generate any consistency. So that that's going to be a big boost to, to get Walker and Charbonnet back because Walker provides that little bit of extra athleticism and speed that Charbonnet doesn't quite have. But hey, the Seahawks might be the 49ers' best friend the week after because if Seattle drops that game as expected, Seattle's hosting Philadelphia on a Monday night. Suddenly San Francisco's in Go line for that one seed because they would have a tiebreaker on either Dallas or Philadelphia. Yeah. So you might be pulling for us on Monday night. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We, we we had that we had that issue with the Cowboys Seahawks game on on Thursday last week. Mm-hmm. Niner fans saying can't cheer for the Cow. It's like. No, like like Seattle's still in this. Like they, they so yeah, it's gonna be the same thing. Mookie, one more thing, real quick. Uh, Mookie, I wanted to ask you before we go to one more quick, one more thing. Just you know, I don't know who you need to speak to because sometimes you know we we make the joke that Kyle Shanahan watches our show and they they absolutely listen to us. Just uh that that quarterback pass with the four running backs in the backfield that DJ Dallas had um when Trey Lance was a starter. Like maybe just rip that one out of the playbook and never use that one ever again. Um, yeah, when he threw the interception, my, my, biggest, and yes. my, my biggest fear is that me writing writing up that the Seahawks need to take a gamble on defense means they're going to take some gambles on offense. There's going to be some of the worst trick plays we've ever seen. I mean, it can't be much worse than whatever the Bengals are doing on Monday night, but it definitely can get worse than, than just throwing directly 
directly to a 49ers player with your third string running back. So I'll, none of that cute stuff is involved. Like just run a normal NFL offense. Like Fred Warner's already a, a, the best middle linebacker in the league. Don't make it even easier for him. He's not going to be fooled by such nonsense. Final, final question before we get out of here then. Uh, when's the big special teams play the Seahawks are going to have against the 49ers? Because that always happens too. Yeah. Now that, if they can do a fake punt like they did with Travis Homer a couple of years ago, like that would be cool. Maybe it's fake punt time because whenever Pete seemingly has his back against the wall, he tries to do something fancy on special teams, right. not necessarily with his offense. So Jason Myers going to get that flip on a 30-yard field goal over the head, run it in or something? Yeah, he might. well, currently he's not doing well kicking field goals, so maybe he can go run for first downs instead. Oh, we talk, we talking kicker hate? Oh, man, this guy's right up my alley. <laughs> Let's not do that. He's going to yell. We're going to be here another 20 minutes. we got to get up out of here. Mookie, as always, we really appreciate it, man. Uh, you're invited anytime. Talk Seahawks, talk Niners, whatever it may be. Uh, go follow him on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at Mookie Alexander. Uh, go follow him at fieldgoals.com. Mookie, we really appreciate the time. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Mookie. Appreciate you, man, especially on a short time like that, man. Appreciate you. Great to be on, fellas. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And Jason Aponte, as always. Let's go Niners. It's not official until passing tweets about Otani. Let's just get that out there now, guys. Not official until passing tweets. Baseball is not a real sport. Baseball is not a real sport unless Otani goes to the Giants. Thank you. <laughs>